This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Dittman, Liverpool, United Kingdom. Web address mercurialspirit.co.uk From October to Brest-Litovsk by Leon Trotsky Chapter 13 The Petrograd Soviet Day At this period the Smolny building was already completely in the hands of the Petrograd Soviet and of our party. The Mensheviks and the SRs transferred their political activity to the Mariinsky Palace, where the infant pre-parliament was already expiring. In the pre-parliament, Kerensky delivered a great speech, in which, stormily applauded by the bourgeois wing, he endeavoured to conceal his impotence behind clamorous threats. The staff made its last attempt at opposition. To all units of the garrison it sent out invitations to appoint two delegates to conferences concerning the removal of troops from the capital. The first conference was called for October the 22nd at 11 p.m. From the regiments we immediately received information about it. By telephone we issued a call for a garrison conference at 11 a.m. withal. A part of the delegates did get to the staff quarters, only to declare that without the Petrograd Soviet's decision they would not move anywhere. Almost unanimously, the Garrison Conference confirmed its allegiance to the Military Revolutionary Committee. Objections came only from official representatives of the former Soviet parties, but they found no response whatsoever among the regimental delegates. The staff's attempt brought out only more strikingly that we were standing on firm ground. In the front rank, there was the Volhynian Regiment, the very one which on July the 4th, with its band playing, had invaded the Tarida Palace in order to put down the Bolsheviks. As already mentioned earlier, the Central Executive Committee had charge of the Petrograd Soviet's treasury and its publications. An attempt to obtain even a single one of these publications brought no results. Beginning with the end of September, we initiated a series of measures toward creating an independent newspaper of the Petrograd Soviet but all printing establishments were occupied and their owners boycotted us with the assistance of the central executive committee it was decided to arrange for a petrograd soviet day for the purpose of developing a widespread agitation and collecting pecuniary resources for establishing a newspaper about a fortnight before this day was set for october the twenty second and consequently it coincided with the moment of the open outburst of the insurrection with complete assurance, the hostile press announced that on October the 22nd, an armed insurrection of the Bolsheviks would occur in the streets of Petrograd. That the insurrection would occur, nobody had any doubt. They only tried to determine exactly when. They guessed, they prophesied, striving in this way to force a denial or confession on our part. But the Soviet calmly and confidently marched forward, making no answer to the howl of bourgeois public opinion. October the 22nd became the reviewing day for the forces of the proletarian army. It went off magnificently in every respect. In spite of the warnings coming from the right that blood would flow in torrents in the streets of Petrograd, the masses of the populace were pouring in floods to the Petrograd Soviet meetings. All our oratorial forces were mobilized. All public places were filled. Meetings were held unceasingly for hours at a stretch. 
They were addressed by speakers of our party, by delegates arriving from the Soviet Congress, by representatives from the front, by left SRs and by anarchists. Public buildings were flooded by waves of working men, soldiers and sailors. There had not been many gatherings like this even in the time of the revolution. Up rose a considerable mass of the petty town folk, less frightened than aroused by the shouts, warnings and baiting of the bourgeois press. Waves of people by tens of thousands dashed against the people's house building, rolled through the corridors, filled the halls. On the iron columns, huge garlands of human heads, hands and feet were hanging like bunches of grapes. The air was surcharged with electric tension that heralds the most critical moments of revolution. Down with Kerensky's government! Down with the war! All power to the Soviets! Not one of the ranks of the previous Soviet parties ventured to appear before those colossal throngs with a word of reply. The Petrograd Soviet held undivided sway. In reality, the campaign had already been won. It only remained to deal the last military blow to this spectral authority. The most cautious in our midst were reporting that there still remained units that were not with us. The Cossacks, the Cavalry Regiment, the Semyonsky Regiment, the Cyclists. Commissioners and agitators were assigned to these units. Their reports sounded perfectly satisfactory. The red-hot atmosphere was infecting one and all, and the most conservative elements of the army were losing the strength to withstand the general tendency of the Petrograd garrison. In the Semyonsky regiment, which was considered the bulwark of Kerensky's government, I was present at a meeting which took place in the open air. The most prominent speakers of the right wing addressed it. They clung to the conservative guard regiments as to the last support of the coalition power. Nothing would avail. By an overwhelming majority of votes, the regiment expressed itself for us and did not even give the ex-ministers a chance to finish their speeches. The groups which still opposed the Soviet watchwords were made up mainly of officers, volunteers and generally of bourgeois intellectuals and semi-intellectuals. The masses of peasants and workmen were with us one and all. The demarcation ran as a distinct social line. The fortress of Peter and Paul is the central military base at Petrograd. As commandant thereof, we appointed a young ensign. He proved the best man for the post, and within a few hours he became master of the situation. The lawful authorities withdrew, biding their time. The element regarded as unreliable for us were the cyclists, who in July had smashed our party's military organization in the Kashinsky mansion and taken possession of the mansion itself. On the 23rd, I went to the fortress about 2 p.m. Within the courtyard, a meeting was being held. The speakers of the right wing were cautious and evasive in the extreme, painstakingly avoiding the question of Kerensky, whose name inevitably aroused shouts of protest and indignation even among the soldiers. We were listened to, and our advice was followed. About four o'clock, the cyclists assembled nearby, in the modern circus, for a battalion meeting. Among the speakers appearing there was Quartermaster General Paradilov. He spoke with extreme caution. The days had been left far behind when official and semi-official speakers referred to the party of the workers merely as to the gang of traitors and hired agents of the German Kaiser. The lieutenant commander of the staff accosted me with, We really ought to be able to come to some agreement. 
but it was already too late. The whole battalion, with only 30 dissenting votes, had voted for handing over all power to the Soviets. End of chapter 13